This week on the Managing Remote Teams podcast. If I listen to you and you're on my team and I'm your boss, mm -hmm. you're more likely to go beyond your roles and responsibilities. Your performance will go up if I mm -hmm. listen to you. And you're more likely to trust and you're more likely to be engaged in your job and stick around. You are listening to the Managing Remote Teams podcast, the show taking a kind, cool-headed, and fair look at remote teams. I'm the host, Luke Shermer, and I've participated in or run distributed teams for almost a decade as a practitioner. I'm speaking with experts on leadership, strategic alignment, and remote work to help you navigate the issues you start facing after you get your working from home gear sorted. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Managing Remote Teams podcast. Today we are speaking with Raquel Ark, who is a TEDx speaker, a communications expert, in particular in listening. And this is, of course, an absolutely fascinating skill that all of us have some experience in, but there's always some potential room for improvement, at least certainly in my case. <laughs> Before we get into listening itself, could you say a few words about Puerto Rico and how that's tied to your interest in listening? Sure. So it's really great to be with you here, Luke. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Puerto Rico. So I was born in Puerto Rico and grew up there until I was around nine years old. And then I, my parents got divorced. So then I spent my summers in Puerto Rico and vacation in Puerto Rico. It's a great place to take a vacation. And then I spent, I was in school in Ohio. And the reason why I tell you that is because Yes, Puerto Rico had a huge influence, and I'll tell you about that in a moment, but also growing up between two cultures throughout my life, that also made a huge difference. And I think you've experienced the same thing with growing up and under seeing that people see the world in different ways. Puerto Rico, it's a beautiful island if you ever have a chance to go. It's close to the equator. The weather's about the same all year long, except for rainy season and dry season. We used to go to the beach almost every day. So every day we'd go to the beach. And so the beach was my place to to play, to have fun, to be with family and whatnot. And I didn't realize the full impact that playing in the waves had with me until later and how that was connected to listening. And what I realized later is being with waves and listening to waves, especially when we would go camping on the beach and falling asleep to the waves and then waking up with the waves, that that was a time where I was really present. There was nothing else existed. It was just the waves. Hmm. And that impacted a lot on how I uh, perceived being present, which is really important. I lived on the, uh, the west side of the island where the beaches are calmer. So we didn't have as many waves. And yet, if you go up about half hour, 40 minutes north, that's where the surfers are and that's where the bigger waves are. And we used to go there and body surf. And we would also go camping on um, an island called Mona Island. It's one of the islands of Puerto Rico. And there, when we would go camping, we would have to go snorkeling for our food because we couldn't nice. carry everything with us. And so my dad would do spear, use a spear fish, uh, spear what do you call this? <laughs> yeah, use a spear to get the fish. <laughs> anyway, so I would go with him. And I, there was this one time where we 
we would have to, we would get to a reef. It was like a, a bridge and we'd have to swim under this little bridge of a reef to get to the other side where the water was deeper. And that's where we could get the bigger fish. And so we had gone fishing. And as we came back, here's the thing with the ocean, the current changed. And all of a sudden, we were trying to get under the reef, but instead, the current, the waves lifted us up and slammed us on top of the reef. And reefs are very sharp. And my dad, he's a doctor trying to save everyone. He tried, you know, saving me. But it, while he was doing that, he actually slammed on top of me. So we kept, we couldn't get out. We kept slamming against that reef over and over. And eventually, though, we got over. So we just got a little bit cut up, but it was a really scary experience. Yeah. And what I remember back at that time, I was around nine years old, is during that situation, my dad was freaking out, but I was really calm. Like I had no fear at all. I knew that we would get over. And as a child, you're like, what is my dad? Well, just leave me alone. <laughs> We're going to get over. And so it was, if you can just imagine, it's just like this like rhythm of this waves keep going, coming back and forth, but eventually it moved us over and I knew it would. Hmm. And then we were, I knew we'd be okay. So Bringing that back to listening, there are the waves that are calm that can put you to sleep or wake you up to play in, but there's also those ones that crash. And that's like conversations where things just seem to be crashing over and the importance of staying calm and knowing that we'll get through to the other side if we can stay as calm as possible. So just so we're clear on exactly what you mean, can you give an example of great listening? One of my, one of the best bosses I had, even in our group team meetings, she would always have everybody talk first. So she'd have her little notebook with all the topics she wanted to talk about. And you'd see her like scratching things off, you know, <laughs> as we went through. And then sometimes it, when it would get to her, then sometimes she would have something left on the list and then talk about it. Or then she would just share stories <laughs> if right. everything was taken care of. And she always had us talk first, or even in one-on-one, she always had me talk first. And I noticed this. So I would always try to get her to talk first and it never worked and um, <laughs> i actually interviewed her on a podcast like i said she's so good but i realized now like in group meetings if you have a if whoever's of highest the hierarchy is the highest hierarchy if they speak first it will shut down voices for the rest of the group so you cannot speak first if you and then they complain that everybody's not speaking out and they want to hear their voices but if they talk first then people aren't going to talk so you really have to hold back <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's so the 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 challenge that I had I think initially when I first started leading teams was that I wasn't setting enough context at the beginning of the meeting. So I think there is a need to do that, but after that stop. Right. Yeah, but that's <laughs> um, describing the situation. That's not asking for opinions or giving your opinions and your advice necessarily. At least getting having that clarity. And then can you say a few words about what the impact of listening is based on your experience or your research? I did some workshops. We did empirical research on these teams over a period of time to see what the impact was of the listening training I was doing that I've been doing. We're just coming up with the results right now. And this is in tech. Mm -hmm. They're not teams. So they're in the same company. We measured them and then we measured them two or three weeks later over time. Yeah. They perceived themselves as better listeners. <laughs> what was interesting is they didn't necessarily feel like their team listened to them better, but it wasn't mm -hmm. a team training. So that kind of makes sense. Yeah. But what they did feel like they had more voice. They felt like they had more voice and they felt more belonging in the organization. I think, this is my little theory on things. I think that 
through listening, you understand what other people's interests are, what their needs are, how to connect with them, and you build relationships. And therefore, then when you do speak to them, then you're more likely to speak in a way that connects versus mm -hmm. just what I thought I had to say. Or I feel more confident because I paid attention to what's important and I know what to say that connects and matters. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where that voice comes in. And then from there, they get positive feedback because it connected and it helped. And that's the belonging. One guy, I was just thinking about one example. We met a month later and reflected back on what they'd been practicing and what they'd learned. And he said that he used to always figure out when to say something. He knew what he wanted to say before the meeting and tried to get it in. And now he goes to meetings and he sits back and listens. And then he makes connections for people or then says something that matters. And he feels like he's contributing more. Mm -hmm. And it's much more relaxing. He feels much better. And it's connecting more and he's getting positive feedback. <laughs> so Very I think that's what's happening. So you've moved a few major times, complete changes in, in cultures. Is there a difference to how people listen in different cultures? That's a good question. Now, what I'm telling you is based on my personal experience. Yeah. So I don't have the research on this, but there is a lot of research that talks about how cultures do listen differently, who, who use silence differently, or cultures that talk on top of each other. There's a lot of research in um, the intercultural world. But what I have noticed in the German language, so I live in Germany now, which is even a different culture. In the German language, the verbs don't come until the end of the sentence mm. compared to the English language. And I wonder, I find that in general, Germans tend to be better listeners. And I wonder sometimes if that's because the verb comes at the end, because you don't really know what's going to happen <laughs> until, until the end of the, the sentence. Verb. Yeah. Yeah. Where in English, we tend to hear the verb and then we guess what's going to happen afterwards and we jump in. I wonder hmm. if that doesn't influence. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Why is it that people find listening hard usually? Or am I assuming that people do find it hard and, and people find it very easy? Before I answer that, maybe I'll ask <laughs> you, <laughs> what do you find hard about listening? I think there's a lot of potential for me personally to be in my own head and not enough with the other person. Maybe that's just like my own thing. Sometimes it's not an issue at all, but when I am struggling, it's usually for that reason where I'm time shifting ahead, <laughs> thinking about what's about to happen, something along those lines. That would probably be my the most common difficulty with it. You're not the only one where that's... Uh, I, I would <laughs> like, hope. I hear that so often and I experience it myself that often we're thinking about what we want to say. And there's this famous quote, we listen to respond more than to understand. Hmm. And that's because often we're thinking about where we have distractions, internal distractions. And part of the reason for that is our brains think a lot more about a thousand to 3000 words a minute. And people are only speaking about 175 to 200 words a minute. And our mind, there's a lot more going on in our mind than when, what we're saying or what the other person is saying. So there, that doesn't, it's not really in alignment, but that's one major reason. I also had a software engineer once tell me after he'd been through a listening workshop, he said, you know what? He goes, I don't even think it's, I listen to respond. I think I'm listening to judge, to evaluate. Hmm. And I thought that was interesting. I'm like, that, that's really insightful. So are we listening to respond? Are we listening to evaluate? How are we listening? And to go back to why is it hard? We're, uh, often we think 
especially in our works, that's part of how we bring value to figure out what is it that I bring to the table. And what we don't realize is that, especially for leaders and managers, that when we listen to someone and we're really present, so we've, we try to clear our mind as possible, you will have thoughts, just you know, notice when you wander and bring yourself back and then try to be fully present. But when we are without judgment and that you're really trying to understand the other person's perspective, the person who's speaking will actually be able to get more creative, will be able to come up with ideas themselves. You're actually helping them to think smarter so that they can take responsibility for the work that they're doing. So often we want to jump in to help, but if you give them that space and time, then you're helping to develop other leaders hmm. or other, so something to think about. And then that gives you more time as a leader. It also feels to me like there's an element of, of thinking versus feeling, I think, with listening. I, I, for me personally, I'm again, I, again, I don't know the research particularly well, but that it, if I'm thinking too much, it's too much about this kind of, I guess the rational brain is as fast or something. Whereas mm. if I'm trying to connect with the other person and also empathize or sympathize as I'm listening to them, then that makes it easier a little bit. Yeah. But I don't know if there's anything that you've <laughs> heard of like that before. Right now you're talking about what's your purpose there, right? Are you wanting to connect with the person so that you can develop trust and work well together? Are you just trying to get get some data so you can take with it and do your thing? What are you trying to do? And that's, I think there's what most of us think that we do better listening than we do. Mm. So the fact that you actually saying, oh, I don't know if I do that or I have these times, that's much more, you're much more self-reflective than often is the case. Okay. So often we think we're better than what we are, but none of us do a good job with everybody. There's certain people that we listen well to in certain conditions, in certain ways. We tend to have patterns on how we listen and who mm -hmm. we listen to. And so part of the practice is to start to become aware of this and then to challenge ourselves to listen in more ways to more people under different circumstances, especially when um, things get tough. <laughs> <laughs> which is when it gets hard. Yeah. And often when things get tough, our we will our body's triggered into that reactive fight or flight. And this is where your the emotional part also can shut off. <laughs> mm -hmm. And we're in our own world and we have our own biases, we have our own assumptions, and that gets in the way. And we will only hear what we think. You know, we won't really hear everything else. We won't even hear everything that's in our own minds. And so when that's the case. If you are able to stay calm and to be the one to listen and ask questions, you will help the other person to calm down because that listening is the way to get to psychological safety. And you can tell when that person starts to feel better because all of a sudden they'll have one perspective. They're trying to persuade you, trying to convince you. And then all of a sudden something will shift. And instead of persuading you, they'll start expressing themselves. And it's almost like they're thinking about thinking through things themselves. And at that point, they'll actually recognize that there's different, there's more than one way to look at things. And you'll start to notice that in their language, that there are different perspectives. Instead of saying that bo my boss is horrible, oh, in this situation, he's like this, but in this situation, he's like this. So they'll start to see 
different perspectives mm -hmm. and they're more likely to listen to your perspective afterwards Definitely. because this, the pair, because the parasympathetic system has kicked in hmm. and then that helps also with the emotional triggers that have just occurred. Yeah, really interesting. It reminds me of a book I, a book I was reading recently, uh, How to Talk to Science Deniers. And uh, yeah, no, it's quite, I guess that's almost the, <clears throat> the most extreme case, uh, well, at least for someone like me. I, I guess people have different views on this stuff. But, but in terms of, for example, flat earthers or something, or I, I don't even want to go near political topics, but yeah, it's, it's yeah, it feels like there's just, so much conflict between people <laughs> and because they're unwilling or unable to listen and it's it's what to do in those situations is it just trying to listen yourself and seeing what happens or mm. in, in these kind of heated discussions for example that people get into online or offline so you're asking a really big question right <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> no that so you ask how you're asking if there's a conversation that comes up, what's the best way to respond, right? If it's, if, yeah, if it gets heated and yeah, the, let's say the other side is, has a very different view than you do, for example. Yeah. I, I really believe that often we, if you want them to listen to you, you have to be the role model first to give them an experience they may not have had from somebody else before. So it may... So if you really want someone to be open to other perspectives, then the best way to do it is to start by listening and not listening with an agenda, not listening, <laughs> being willing for you to change your own mind. And then if you do it in that way and think of a more long-term process, not just a one-off thing, then the chances that they might come around is higher. Because when you do that, then they may start to listen to themselves. You create a space where they can hear themselves. Let me give you an example. There was some research done with managers and they put a good listener or someone who listened well with one group and then a listener who was distracted with another group of managers. With the group where the listener was distracted, those managers perceived themselves, they only saw the strengths that they had, the only the good things about themselves. Mm -hmm. The one with the good listeners actually become became much more aware of their strengths and their weaknesses, which is a more realistic perspective mm -hmm. of their performance. Yeah. And so they sh they're showing that listening helps more complex thought patterns. That's more complex thoughts. So they can see that there's different there's the strengths and the weaknesses. There's the times where it works, where it doesn't work, which is more realistic. So if you have someone who's very extreme in their thoughts, then practicing listening. So you might have to find your way to stay calm and to really move your agenda aside and move your opinions aside and to ask questions and be truly interested, like you really are interested. Then the chances of that person becoming less extreme is much higher. And they've done research with really tough topics on, do you bring the body of a terrorist back home so they can be buried with their family, like really tough conversations like this. They did that in, in Israel. And, yeah. and it showed that even in those types of conversations with a good listener, people will become less extreme and more open to conversations with others. But it takes, that's a huge muscle to practice. Yeah. And so I, I think it's really yeah. important to practice in, in situations that are not as extreme first. Yeah. yeah. 
so that when that moment happens, you can take a deep breath. And no matter if you want that person to listen to you, you start by giving them an experience they may not have had by anybody else. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, yeah thank yeah. you. Since you got interested in the topic, what was the biggest surprise in the research that you found on listening specifically? That you remember? In the beginning, I had done a lot of listening. I had been, I studied interpersonal and organizational communication. So listening was part of my program, but it was more active listening. You listen to someone and then you paraphrase back. But I realize now that's just one tiny piece. And that actually can sometimes get in the way of real, the real stuff that has impact. What I didn't realize, a lot of times I listen so I can do my job better or to listen to the customer or to listen, you know, to what the needs are. What I did not realize is that just by listening that it helped the speaker. I did not realize that. I did mm. not realize that just by listening, the speaker can become more creative, that the speaker actually will perform better. If I listen to you and you're on my team and I'm your boss, mm -hmm. you're more likely to go beyond your roles and responsibilities. Your performance will go up if I mm -hmm. listen to you. And you're more likely to trust and you're more likely to be engaged in your job and stick around. I didn't realize that part. It takes practice and we can learn. It's not something that just happens. I thought I was pretty good. And so I was just trying to help others. And through the this, through these years, I've realized, oh my gosh, I, can, I, I need practice every day and I can learn a lot from others too. And no matter, I think it's a lifelong journey and, and that the training, you can't just talk about the benefit of listening. So for all of you listening, you can listen to this and think I'm going to get better, but actually it takes experiencing and practicing to get better. And then have, yeah, having time to talk about it and think about it afterwards. So what exactly do you mean by practice then? <laughs> <laughs> what do I mean by practice? So even if you find somebody and you let, you just say, Hey, I'm going to listen to you for, I want to hear what you have to say. Or someone comes to you and they ask you to, for an answer. How do I fix this problem? <laughs> Before you answer, to say, hey, I have some thoughts, but I'd love to hear what you're thinking first and talk me through what you're doing. And I'd like to hear your ideas first. I'm going to give you five minutes. And, and then if you want to hear what I have to say, I'll be happy to share. But let's start with you first. And to practice doing that. You might be surprised at what might happen. Hmm. To practice not interrupting. So you can practice on your own like this. But like in training programs, like when I do training programs, I don't talk a whole lot. I give a little bit of input, but often I have people experience listenings in really playful ways or in different ways. And mm. then having time to reflect back afterwards what just happened, often they'll actually, people will actually respond in ways that the science is showing. And then I can tell them the science afterwards and it anchors it. So for example, just having two minutes not interrupting, just only listening without not saying anything and then taking turns or practicing. If you tell a story, people can listen to you better. And to practice that, where all the focus, one person has five minutes and only that person has their that the attention before you switch to the other person. Mm -hmm. We practice things like that. Um, those are just simple examples. Yeah, yeah. That that makes sense. What about dialogue? Is there a way of practicing structuring dialogue or yeah. are there good ways of doing that? Because I think for storytelling, it's, it's a great skill. It's both to tell and then as, as, as 
pretty much as we're saying, also listening to it. But if you want to be entering into a topic and, and exploring it, how would how do you practice that or think about structuring the practicing of that? So here's my question before I answer that. When you think of <laughs> wanting a dialogue, like what is the outcome you'd like to have in a dialogue? Are you thinking in terms of a group? Are you thinking about one-on-one? Well, let's say one-on-one just to keep it simple because I think with a group, it, it pretty, yeah, there's, there's, a lot, there's a lot of other factors at play too. Even though there's some really simple stuff you can do with groups, just so you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. Let's, okay, let's start with one-on-one <laughs> and then move to groups. And are you talking in general or are you talking more like leader, team lead with their... Let's say team lead, yeah, with a one-on-one situation, team lead with, mm-hmm. with a person on the team, for example, in a meeting, on a call, that kind of thing. Okay. So, first of all, I think... It, if you can do some prep work before, that is really helpful. You don't have to. I've talked to a lot of people one-on-one, so they just show up without preparing. And I find that, especially in the tech industry, if you have people who need time to think, that it's helpful to have at least um, an agenda or a couple of topics or something ahead of time that people prepare. And you can even prepare an agenda, a little one, short one, in terms of questions. Because if you do it in terms of questions, people are more likely to think about the answers versus coming for the answer because it's just getting information. So that's one thing. Also, if they do bring their topics to you, to find, have them start thinking about, do I want to share some information and update you? Do I need information from you? Do I want to brainstorm ideas or do I need a decision made? I think you don't always have to do that, but to start helping your team think about what's the purpose of this (laughs) communication topic. How do I want you to listen to me? Do I want to listen to you? Do we want to listen to each other? What is our purpose? That can be really helpful because often people don't think about that. Mm -hmm. But in the moment, as a lead, it's really helpful if you can ask them questions first and listen first before you give your ideas and answers. Because I find that the higher you are in the power hierarchy are, if you speak first, the chances that the other people won't speak or they'll just say what they think you want them to say will be the case. So to get them used to talking first and listening first, asking questions that help them think further. So it's more than you getting information, but it's more like trying to understand how they're thinking through something. Mm-hmm. and their process and to give that space and time and when they are silent and come to a pause to wait don't jump in mm. because it could be that they're thinking about what they just said and trying to reflect on whether there's more to say often we jump in and we interrupt and they're still in their thinking process so not to do that so wait and see if they're really finished and ask is there anything else before jumping in and usually when you ask or wait, usually that's when the good stuff comes. Mm-hmm. So that's something I would really recommend practicing. And then you can respond. Not that you can't. Um, <laughs> but then when you respond, you're responding in a way that's connecting more to where they're at. Often we jump in thinking we know where they're at, but we're actually responding in a way that's not very helpful. Mm-hmm. And it might be they take care of their own challenge before or their own issue before you even say anything they've taken ownership of it. So that's something to listen first, ask questions, even in feedback, taking, getting their thoughts on themselves first, 
before mm -hmm. responding. And it could be they say everything you want to say, or then you add an example, or you can add from that and help them to think about other things that can be really helpful. If there's a crisis, then you got to just take care of things. But if there's not a crisis and you have a little yeah. bit of time, what usually surprises people is that because the quality of listening is there, then the conversations actually are more effective and don't take as long. Over time, they become shorter because you just understand each other better. Yeah. Right. And the and they start to get they start to build trust, and they start to be able to be more vulnerable or ask for help and things that may not have done otherwise. Hmm. So, what about groups then? Yeah, with groups, what do you find is the biggest challenge in groups? Usually, group dynamics, especially when starting with a group. I think there's. A pretty big disconnect between how I relate to each person versus how the group acts. And then if something as simple as sitting there waiting with, for example, video off <laughs> as someone talks for five minutes and then not really wanting to break out of that comfort zone where they aren't where they're not involved, for example. And that, and I think there's a group dynamic component to that. Whereas I'm certain each of the people individually actually are engaged, are interested. <laughs> That's one part of it. You see it in, in workshops too, right? That's what, it's what like, you know, icebreakers are for <laughs> just to get people into that forward momentum that can help if it's the right type of activity for that group of people at that moment, at least from what I've seen. I know that we had a conversation about how you manage meetings and workshop style and having different ways of interacting and trying to adapt to the group in general. People, you do a lot already. When it comes to, I'm going to tap into the research, the listening research, the biggest impact on whether listening can happen, a quality listening happens, has mainly to do with the they call it the dyad, so the pair. So when you put people in twos, mm -hmm. that has the biggest influence on listening. It's not whether people are good listeners or the context. The biggest influencer is the person that they're with and whether there's listening that happens or not. Mm -hmm. So when you think even in groups, it the more you can facilitate, this, you talk about a facilitator, that first Maybe there's things where people meet in, in twos first. They can put people into breakout rooms where they can think through a question between two people before bringing it into the larger group that the, they're more likely to speak out. That's one thing. So mm -hmm. to remember that it's able, it's they're more likely to have a voice and to think through things if they're in pairs before coming into a bigger group. The bigger the group is, the less likely people are going to speak out. So if you can facilitate ways that you can still get answers or help people to think through things before coming to a bigger group, then they're more likely to say something because they've had time to talk to somebody else about it. So mm -hmm. this is important. Then when it comes to the group, I find that if you have a group that meets on a regular basis to have some communication guidelines and how we want to interact with each other, to even talk about that makes a huge influence. So if you have a team that, that and then to check in to see if it's working or not, and what people want, mm -hmm. because it, there's different styles. Some people are more processed people. They need an agenda. Other people need to have a little bit of interpersonal friendly talk at the first Chat. at the beginning. Yeah. So you start to talk about that. What do people need? And then how can we create an environment that everybody's needs are fulfilled? So if you can do that, it's really valuable. Mm -hmm. And then there's a structure called the listening circle. 
It's like you're sitting around the fire passing the, the talking stick around. Yeah. But even virtually online, it's so, it's great where you have certain guidelines and then you have a structure where the facilitators basically all call names in a certain order. And I tell them, when I call your name, take a moment just to notice, is there something I want to say or not? And if not, just say pass, and then we'll keep going around the circle. And you always call the names in the same order. Mm -hmm. And it's okay if you don't have something to say now, because we'll come back around and you'll have another chance. And so what happens, saying that there's a structure, telling the structure that you're going to go around, that you don't have to speak if you do not want to. And you can take a moment to think about it. And that when you're not speaking, that you really listen to the other person. What happens is that then the introverts are glad that they're noticed, but that they don't have to say something. So they're not stressed <laughs> out. So they don't like the attention on themselves, but then because they don't have to say something and they can say pass, then they feel less stressful, stressed. And usually they say something after the second or third round. For the extroverts, because they know they'll get their chance, they don't have to always be thinking, when am I going to talk? <laughs> they spend a lot of time thinking, where am I going to get my voice in? <laughs> because it'll get to them. And so I find that people who talk a lot actually end up maybe talking less mm -hmm. over time. It's more even between people who speak and, they, and don't speak. And they also actually are more relaxed because they don't have to work so hard to figure out when they're going to talk. <laughs> it, it equalizes the conversation. Mm -hmm. But to make sure you go around a few times until the time is up or until everything's been said can be really helpful. And usually groups will find it, once they trust the process, they might think it's a little weird at first, but once they trust the process, <laughs> they really love it. And mm. it's so relaxing, like physically relaxing, like they feel better. Yeah. No, that's, that's, and that's yeah. when you realize those power dynamics is taken away. <laughs> just in terms of group, I think we're just at the beginning of that. There's, there's more research happening right now with teams. Actually, one podcast you probably enjoyed listening to was, is with Dr. Guy Ishakov. We did a short podcast on some of the, and we talk about the listening circles there too, where he's talking about listening training and, and the impact on teams also under high pressure environments. Mm -hmm. And so that might be something really interesting for you. I'll send that one to you. And then probably the one with Niels van Quackabega, he talks about asking questions, but he they did some research on whether questions, if you ask questions, if that helped get rid of the bad apple in the mm -hmm. team, and they, <laughs> they thought so, but then they did this research and it didn't work. But with, And then they found out later that it wasn't the asking questions, that asking questions is just the spark. If the listening... If you didn't listen afterwards, then it wouldn't make the difference. It was actually the listening piece. <laughs> <laughs> this is where it's taken for granted. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those, like a, like a good, a, it sounds like it's a great ritual basically that like kind of calms the head chatter around yeah. participation and I'll get my turn when I need it. And if I need it, interesting. So what are listening playgrounds? Cause you organize these things. What are, what is that exactly? So I've realized that a lot of my learning through listening over time, after I thought I was already good, and then I realized, oh, I have a lot to learn, happened through having playful experiences. My mentor, my, one of my biggest mentors, every time we talk, he comes up with something new and playful. <laughs> and I am also have learned to do that over time. And, and because of the research showing that it's exper through experiencing that we actually get better. And so I decided to prototype 
some listening playgrounds, I call them superpower playgrounds, to see if in a short period of time, if you bring a bunch of people together to try some playful things around listening without even explaining everything I'm explaining now to you on mm -hmm. the podcast, just to experience things yeah. and to see if we can do some micro learning through experiences with different people and see if that would help. <laughs> mm. And so I did that in March every Friday. I had a, a group of people who prototyped that with, with me. There were 16 people who I reached out my in a smaller in in that group in a smaller group to see what that would be. And we had people from all around the world and all different ages and different. We had everything from students to people who are executive managers to software engineers to UX to consultants. We had every different cultures and it worked. And so I was also challenging myself to really focus on small bits mm -hmm. and to be able to do something within 45 minutes, mm. which, <laughs> yeah, which is not always that easy and, and to make it fun and playful that it was playful and fun. And it went so well that, that I'm going to start doing them once a month in June and just see what the response is. And I'll open up, open that up to a wider group just to come and play and practice um, and then go from there. Great. Mm -hmm. If you have a link or something, happy to put it in the in the show notes for people yeah, later. One question that I like to ask guests is, do you have any kind of team building tips from the listening perspective? So some examples of what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Just to circle back to what I said before with groups, if you can facilitate listening with your team, you will start to create bonds. <laughs> And if you can do it in all different ways, in twos, in groups of threes, in circles, or have pe having people take turns or sharing stories or sharing experiences, that will really have a huge impact and it's really quick. So there's one example, there's something called a story carousel mm -hmm. where you put people into groups of two and you can have them share a story of some sort. So one of the ones that I love to do, especially when you're working in multicultural environments, is to share a story about your name. So I give people a few moments just to think about a story about your name. And it can be why your parents named you, the way they named you, how they found you, how they came up with your name. It can be that your name has a meaning. It can be that like my, like Germans have a hard time pronouncing my name. So I talk about that. And then you put people into groups and they take turns so that one person talks about their name story for two minutes and they have the full two minutes. And then you shift to the other person where that person shares their story about their name for a full two minutes. If a person finishes early, like a minute, then the person listening can ask questions mm -hmm. to help and be curious. They don't, they shouldn't interrupt, not to interrupt too quick, but if, but to, that person has the full two minutes, but not to go over so that there's equal time. And often when you have these interactions with names, you learn so much. It's not just the name. You learn a lot about that person's culture, about their family. You learn things that will help you work more with that person in the future. Hmm. So I'll have people do this and then I'll bring them back to the group and you don't have to do this, but I have people notice, what did you learn about that person that will help you work with them more in the future? You've just learned something that will help you do that. And often they find, often they find common ground or they start to feel connection with that person. They see them as a person. Hmm. Another story I love to use is think about a time that someone helped you at work 
or think about a time that you helped someone at work. Like these are all different levels of stories and just a couple minutes, each story. Mm -hmm. And you, you learn a lot about that person and what they find helpful, what their strengths are, what's important to them, what their values are, start listening beyond. And, and we, even virtually in that moment, we were in, impacting each other physically. You actually feel physically more connected to that person. You're more energized or you might notice that you feel happier, <laughs> not just the, co the content. And people, if you can help people notice that, then you'll start how they impact the interactions, how they impact each other. Mm -hmm. That has a huge impact on team bonding. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's great. Thank you. And one other question, are there, are there any particular resources that you would recommend that you commonly find yourself recommending to people or giving or something like that? Besides your book? <laughs> 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 yes, there is an article at the, with the Harvard Business Review that was written by two scientists on listening who've done a metadata analysis on listening. Dr. Avi Kluger and Dr. Guy Itchakov. I always laugh because I say his name wrong. Dr. Guy Itchakov. And they talk about how listening change helps people change. And if you know, in our work environment, there's constant change and yeah. people have a hard time with change. And so they really lay out the listening science on how listening helps people change and how giving feedback without listening can actually be can actual, actually lower performance, whether it's positive feedback or lower or negative feedback. And so that's a really great article to understand the science and why just by listening that helps your team change or helps people in change projects, how that process does that. So that I recommend a lot because it realized how big this listening piece is. Hmm. There are also, if there are, there's a lady named Laura Janicek who has a YouTube video channel where she gives lots of just short tips, listening mm -hmm. tips, and we can, we can, I can give you the link to that video, but that's really nice for just really practical, basic listening tips that can be really helpful for, for people in all different um, types of situations. And she's also has, knows the science as well as the practical side of things. And I think that's what a message I think is really important. Like for me, it's really important that it's not just what we think, but what is the science showing? Because there's a lot of science coming out just now, right now, there's a lot of stuff we're just discovering now. It's becoming more visible. Mm -hmm. And what are the practical, how does that partner with the practical side of things? So those are yeah. a couple of things that I recommend to people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One resource of yours that I'd highly recommend is your TEDx video. <laughs> so that's uh, your talk. Is there anything else anywhere where people should go to check you out or where you typically are on social media? You're welcome to check out my podcast. I have a podcast where I interview people who are doing things with listening in ways that are probably surprising all different areas. So all the way from the scientists to you know, trainers, but also to, to people working in tech and how they're using it. And so you can get a lot of different resources there that might be interesting. You have to pick, pick and choose what, what suits you. And, but there's a lot of really good stuff there. I think there's a lot of 
people doing a lot of great stuff and listening. And so you might yeah. be surprised at what's there. And I'll be having some more videos coming out in the next half year with some of the newer science that's coming out, but we still have to do the recordings and I'll be doing that with my mentor, Dr. Abby Kluger. He's one of the best or one of the scientists who's doing a lot of the work that's really furthering this stuff where I'm understanding a lot of stuff. So we're, we'll be doing some stuff, but that's coming up soon. And that's based on the findings that they have with listening at work. So that's really important. Yeah. How can we bring more listening into organizations and into teams? And how can we bring it into more, at a more systemic level, integrate it into the stuff that we're doing? And I think if we can learn how to do that, and we're at the beginning of that, we can have a lot more influence on our productivity and actually people feeling better because there's a lot of problems right now with burnout and whatnot. So this will be really important if people are interested in that, then they should definitely reach out because a lot of us are trying to figure it out right now on, on how to make that work better. Yeah. 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 But otherwise, yeah. LinkedIn, reach out on LinkedIn. That's where I sure. post stuff. It's there mainly. I have, I'm on Instagram and, but LinkedIn is probably the place where I spend more time. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Managing Remote Teams podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts and reach out to us on Twitter or LinkedIn with any feedback or thoughts that you have for a future show.